0: Thank you, worship team. Gosh, I. You know, there's. It, you don't know how much it blesses a pastor <clears throat> to be able to worship before we have before the sermon and stuff, and that, and remind us that we're not here just. For, we're not here for a message. We're not here for a sermon. We're here to join in God's family and worship Him together. And yeah, we use sermons because we love His Word and we and we want to learn to serve Him better and love Him more, but. Um, but it's all about worship, and so, so glad you guys are here today. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. Uh, I'm Darrell Watts. I'm the interim pastor. <clears throat> so as, of a, as I've told some of you, it will get better, all right? So uh, so bear with us. This is your first time today. And excuse me. <clears throat> Don't know why. <clears throat> That's uh, there. So it's been, a, it's been a good week at our church. Um, it's have uh, heard a lot of good things have happened this week of people um, having some great uh, spiritual encounters with Neighbors and friends. Um, we had a funer- uh, in The sad a funerals not a great thing, but we had a, had a funeral service here Tuesday. Dave did a great job of. Uh, David did a wonderful job of emceeing that too. So he held it together really nice there, and uh, it was just good to see everybody that came and supported that, and uh, appreciate our church um, stepping up with that. Uh, speaking of extra events too, I want to let you know that we are going to ha- be having a Good Friday service. So uh, if you're part of a regular church family, you'd love to be there. As we um, remember Christ's sacrifice in a very special way on a Good Friday, and it'll probably be a little bit shorter service than we normally have, but um, because it is the evening and it's uh, it's Friday night, I know how some of you want your Friday nights free, so we'll we'll do that. But anyway, so welcome, g- guys, today. And today, after a two-month break, we're going to get back into our to our look at the Book of Acts. That's been two months since we've been in it. We've had uh, various and sundry things that have kept us from uh, from looking into the Book of Acts, but. We're going to go back and uh, and look at that again about how they expanded the team of leaders that they had in Acts chapter six. But before we get to that, let's look at previously in the book of Acts. All right, here's what we saw before. All right, uh, so the book of Acts starts with Jesus giving his disciples this great mission that he gave us. Um, he said, "You shall receive my power. Receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you." and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. And we noted at that point that that was sort of the outline of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is really about how the early church took the message of Jesus across the known world at that time. And so that's what we're looking at at this and as they begin growing. Now, we also saw as we looked into chapter 2 that the Jews had been scattered all over the world, came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, And the church responded and the Holy Spirit responded with this message uh, called the the Pentecost message where people uh, heard people speaking in their native languages, we noted at least 13 of them, and 3,000 people came to know Jesus at that point. Some of those stayed in Jerusalem, some of those went back to their home countries and became missionaries, voluntary missionaries in their own right, taking the message, message of Jesus back all over the known world at that point. As I say, many people think some stayed in Jerusalem, but some went back on. And what's important that some of them stayed in Jerusalem in just a moment. And then we also looked later in Acts chapter 2 at the marks of a healthy, growing church as they grew in worship and fellowship and in charity, in discipleship, in evangelism, in ministry. And one thing that sometimes the church struggles with today, they grew in relevance to their community. And then in Acts 4 and 5, we noted how the first criticism and punishment came to the early church in both chapters four and five we see where they were hauled before the courts and were threatened and even flogged yet they still rejoiced that they were willing that they were worthy of being of suffering for the name of jesus and they continued to increase in the message Uh, so we're going to go and look a little bit more into the book of acts into acts chapter six and we're just going to look at verses one through seven in acts chapter six so uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn with it there. It's also in the Pew Bibles and there with you, and it's also online if you have it. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now at this time the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, summoned the congregation of disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. <clears throat> the announcement found approval uh, um, with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought these men before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we read your word, Father, the more wonderful it just becomes to us. And, Father, the more powerful it becomes, too. And so, Father, thank you for being a loving and powerful and wonderful God and for giving us your word. And we humbly ask for your guidance as we study your word today. Father, please give me clarity of speech, but give your people clarity of hearing, not just to my word, but to the words of your Holy Spirit as he speaks to their hearts. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've been at church for any length of time, you've probably heard of this passage before, and we normally think of this passage as the calling of the first deacons. Now, some of you may get mad at me for this, but I'm going to tell you, that's not really what this passage is about. Now, it does apply to deacons, but that's, that's really not what it's about at this point. And I'm going to explain sort of, sort of why. Now, it's not saying this passage doesn't matter, okay, but it's just saying it's not about the first deacons. In fact, the word deacon doesn't even appear in this passage at all. It doesn't even show up anywhere in here. Now, I will tell you some passages where the word deacon is used. So I want you to get this clear. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't have deacons. We have deacons, and I am very thankful for our two deacons we have in our church. And we're going to be looking at expanding our team of deacons sometime in the near future. So as we think about this and expanding, this does apply. But this is not what this is really about. So we'll tell you what it is about in a moment. So here's a passage where the word where the word deacon is used. It's okay in uh, philippians 1 1 paul writes to all the saints in christ who are in philippi including the overseers and the deacons oh, thank you including the overseers and the deacons so it's used there that's actually the word diakonos which is the greek word for deacon i'm not trying to impress you with greek words here okay but just letting you know that this is what we're going back to is where it was written here's another way place it was used it was used not just for people who are leaders in the church This word deacon was sometimes used in the Bible for slaves and servants. In John 2, 5, Jesus says, His mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. And in Greek, it's his mother said to the deacons, to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, to do it. That's John 2, 5. The word deacon was also used for politicians. In Romans 13, 4, it says, For the servant of God, the deacon of God, uh, is for is it is to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a deacon of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And Paul even used the word of himself in Colossians one twenty three. He says, "I'm not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation, and of which I, Paul, was made a." And the word translated "minister" there is actually the word "deacon." All right, so. Um, Here's what it's talking about there. The word diakonos really means just minister, all right? It's related to the word for, for ministry. In fact, even the apostles use it of themselves in this very passage, in, in verse 4 of this passage. It says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And, it's, and the word ministry there is the word for, for, uh, for serve. Okay, I'm no, no, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Well, I got all excited. I was, getting, I was like, we're getting fast. I got ahead of myself. Let me back up. All right, who is running slides? Ryan back there running slides. I'm like, what is he doing here? All right, let me catch up with you here. All right, so the word there, diakonos, doesn't appear in this passage, but there is a word that's used, and it's the word diakonia, and it's very similar. Diakonos means deacon, diakondeo means serve, so you see how those are very related. And the word serve does appear here. And that's where some people got the idea that this is about deacons. Now, I know some of you are already saying, like, okay, we get it. Go on with this. But for some of you, this is kind of important to understand. So bear with me for just a moment. So this word serve, diaconeo does appear in here a couple of times. It's used twice. First, it's used for, um, for these men who are serving. It says, it, in verse 2, it says, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. In other words, to be a diaconeo, to do that with the, with the tables. But it's also used of the apostles. The apostle says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that also is that same word serve. So here's what I'm trying to say with this. We've gotten in our mind somewhere that there's this hierarchy of leadership. Now, we do have a little bit of a hierarchy. There always has to be some sort of organization. Any, or, any church that, or any organization that doesn't have organization Falls apart. Look at our government. Okay, all right, not organized and not doing too. Well. All right, and Governor Newsom, if you're watching, I apologize, but get it together, man. All right, all of you guys. All right. So anyway, um, <clears throat> I'm, that's going. All right, I probably should have said that. I try not to be political. All right, but our job is to pray for our for our leaders. All right, so remember that. But but any any so a church has to be organized or it's going to fall apart but there's not really a hierarchy of ministry. A lot of people think like the pastor is like the top dog and then you've got other people, so they would probably look and go like, when you call a pastor, now interim pastors, I don't know where they fall in, they're off to the side somewhere, but you'd have like the pastor and then the associate pastor and then uh, if you had elders, you'd have them and then you'd have deacons and then you'd have like uh, teachers and stuff like that. And listen, I think preschool workers ought to be like at the top, they ought to be over all of them myself, really. But anyway, but it's not really that kind of organization. That the that's not a this is not about the apostles handing off something that they didn't want to do that was a lower level of ministry, it was just another form of ministry. The apostles said, "We're going to do the ministry of the word, and you guys are going to do the ministry of helping out the widows." And it wasn't like one was ab- above or below the other. It's used the same word for both of them. So here's what this passage is really about. As we're getting into it now, it's not just about offloading work. It's about People finding their place of service where God has designed them to be and doing the work that they can do best. And so the, the, these men were not necessarily, the apostles wanted to focus on spending time studying and learning how to help the church grow and, and, and become be, as better with the disciples. They said, there are other people we can hand this off to that will do a better job of that and we can do only what, only what we can do. One of the best examples of this, uh, many of you know, I I refer back to the time that I was a pastor at a Korean church. Now, some of you heard this story before, but I don't think I've said it from the from the stage. But Korean culture is generally, uh, traditionally, pretty hierarchical. In fact, in Korean language, there's even—if I get this right—now correct me if there. There's actually six different levels of of language of politeness, and uh, like you learn how to say uh, thank you at different levels of 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 people, so I, I've learned a little bit about that, and I could be getting this wrong, so don't, all right, so I don't get it all, but, but, um, but in a Korean church, the pastor was always, like, the, the top dog, I had people that just look at me, like, as a pastor, they're like, well, pastor, I don't know if that's a good idea, but you're the pastor, and you said, let's do it, so let's go do it, gosh, I love being in that church, but anyway, um, and, um, and I'd always have these, these older men would always bow lower to me than, 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 than I would to them because I was the pastor. It was this hierarchy kind of thing. But one day, I was, uh, I was sitting at my secretary's desk. I had just was stuck on the sermon, didn't, didn't so I wanted to do something else. So I, I decided to sit at her desk. She hadn't sh- shown up yet. And I was working on, the, the church had a, a handout that they did, a bulletin, a worship folder. And so I was working on that at the computer. And the secretary comes in and she looks at me and she says, What are you doing? And I said, I was just working on the folder. And she goes, Is your sermon finished? I said, No. And she goes, Get out of my chair, go work on your sermon. <laughs> it was unheard I was like, there's part of me wanting to go like, What? What? You know. Now, a little bit later, to make up for it, she brought me in a nice cup of coffee. She put in like a porcelain cup and stuff, and you know, served it to me really nice. But but the idea was. You go do what nobody else can do. That's work on your sermon. I can do this. That's my job. You should not be doing this. Get out of here and go do something else. And the idea there is, I love that thing that she did. By the way, she was a college student too. And, uh, and oh man, I just wanted to, I wanted to, wanted to just strangle her at that point. But now I'm just like praising her for what she said. So remember the idea here is that there's not a hierarchy of ministry. What God has designed you to do, you need to do because you can do it better than I can. And better than your new pastor can. There're gonna be certain things like that that you can do. For example, you do not want me leading worship. That would be a disaster, okay? Because some men are some men are, are, are tenors and some are basses, and I'm a barely tone. All right. So, oh, don't sure, don't laugh at the dumb ones, okay? Come on, man. All right. but that is, that is me. All right. Um, so so let's look back at why they expanded the team. Okay. Well, the first thing I want you to see out this passage is. Growth causes problems. Well, not just growth, actually. Change causes problems. So change causes problems altogether, right? Okay, can't read that very well, but change causes problems. And in this case, it just happened to be growth. Now, growth in the church is good news and bad news. And Luke notes right at the beginning that the disciples were increasing in number. That's good, right? But also increasing in number led to the first internal complaint. And let's talk about that. Now, there is so much to, to, to note in this verse. We can't, we can't possibly cover all of it unless you guys want to be here till two, 2 o'clock. And I don't think anybody does, all right? So let's just kind of hit some highlights here. Here's the first thing that they had was a trouble. that They, had, they noted that they were, their widows were not getting served, some of the widows. Now, I want to pause and note this about the early church. It's a credit to the early church that they took care of widows. That was unusual in the Roman world. In the Roman world, families took care of widows, and the government or any other organization did not worry about it. In fact, it was so important that families take care of widows that Caesar Augustus, when he became emperor, imposed a tax on any widow who didn't didn't get remarried because they said that was encouraged to say, you're a widow, you should be married. And they had to pay a tax if they didn't get remarried. That was the, 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 the culture in which they lived. But the early church didn't do that. Now, it grew out of the Jewish culture, and the Jewish culture did have a, a little bit of a culture of taking care of women. Some of the priests had to wind up doing that. But the early church said to the widows, you're important. We're not going to forget you. We're going to take care of you. We're going to deal with you because you are a part of our church. You're an important part of our church, and we want to help you. And that was a credit, credit to the early church. And I would say it's a credit to our church when we're doing compassion ministries and we're taking care of our members. And, um, and in churches like ours usually, deacons are some of the ones that do a lot of the work of taking care of people like the widows there just, in this, just as they did in this passage. So that's the first thing I would note about the early church. And today we also ought to be the same way. We need to care for all of our people no matter who they are, no matter what the culture outside these walls says. We need to care for them. Now, the biggest thing, though, was these terms Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, and that may be a new term to most of you, but in the, in the early church, there grew to be two different kinds of people in the church. Now, at this t- point, most of the church was still coming out of Judaism, and there were two kinds of Jews back then. There were the Hebraic Jews. These were people who lived in Jerusalem, worshiped at the temple, Probably Aramaic was their first language, Aramaic was the, mat, that, the, the version of Hebrew at that time. And so they grew up in a very Jewish culture. Yes, they were part of the Roman world, but they were an enclave of Jewish culture at that point, and that was the Hebraic Jews. Well, those are the Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic is the word for Greek in, in, in Greece, uh, in, the, in the Greek language. And Hellenistic Jews were people who had grown up outside Jerusalem, outside the Promised Land, They they were either descendants of the people who had been carried away into captivity by the Babylonians some five or six centuries earlier, or they were people that a few decades earlier, the Roman Emperor Pompey, when he conquered Jerusalem, carted people off to different parts of the empire then too. And so these Jewish people lived in Roman or with Greek culture somewhere else outside the Promised Land. These people grew up probably speaking Greek as their original language. They probably had a little bit harder time reading the Old Testament because it was written in Hebrew. They didn't grow up worshiping up at the temple. They grew up worshiping in the synagogues outside somewhere. So they had a very different kind of culture going on, and there began to be a division between the two of them. And it probably actually grew a little bit because after Pentecost, some of those Hellenistic Jews probably stayed in Jerusalem, and so all of a sudden they had these People who were, well, they were Jewish, but now they're Christian, but they're not kind of like us. What do we do with them? Think of it this way. Like uh, if you've ever been a part of a, a church that was had a first-generation um, immigrant church and a second-generation immigrant church, happens a lot. That you see them, that they'll run basically two different churches, one in the original language and one in English for the second generation. So that's kind of what they were looking at here. So the difference between a first generation and and even third or fourth generation Americans, the first generation is usually more tied to their ancestral culture, maybe speaks that original language, and the generations later tend to be more anglicized, tend to be more um, Americanized, might not speak their their grandparents' language. Happens all the time. Uh, Again, when I was at the Korean church, this is a good example, Dad, I'd have a lot of my second-generation students who would go back to Korea to visit relatives and they would come back and I would be surprised so many times that they said these were students that had not grown up in Korea but they came back and they'd sit down in my office with a crisis of identity going I, I thought I was Korean but now I don't think I am after visiting Korea and I'd had to help them try to work through what it means to be a Korean American because it was a little bit different. Now for any of you who are second generation if i'm getting this wrong let me know later i'm not representing everybody's situation okay that's just one way it plays out there so coming back to the to the church here at this time it was still a very jewish church in fact most people thought of christianity at that point of being a subset of judaism it was sort of like i mentioned before it was judaism 2.0 uh, but to their credit they reached out to the hellenistic, hellenistic jews and they were trying to incorporate them into the church. But even this small cultural difference made it made caused a problem, because the Hellenistic, Jew, the Hellenistic members did not feel like their widows would be treated fairly. Now Luke doesn't tell us exactly why they thought that. I think most likely it was just a natural development that no one had taken the time to examine, it happens. The Hellenistic Jews probably all hung out together because they were more comfortable speaking Greek they may have come from the same area of the world. At minimum, they shared they had shared experiences from growing up in the Greco-Roman culture, so they hung out together. That's just n- normal. That's why San Francisco has has a Chinatown, and a Japan town. Ta- well, for that matter, Fresno has a has a Chinatown, and Fresno. I don't know. In in the early 1900s, Fresno had a Japan town. It's actually pretty big. You can see the maps of it. It was a, p- a fairly big area. It's natural for people to hang out together. If you go. If you go to China, you'll probably find enclaves where there's a lot of expatriate Americans living. In any country, you'll find that. That's just natural. I'm not saying it has to be that way. I'm not saying it should be that way. I'm just saying that's a natural development that we can understand with people. So the native Jewish people probably had systems already in place to help the widows. And the Hebrew widows probably knew how to ask for help and where to get it, but the Hellenistic widows probably didn't. In fact, language might've been a problem for them. So it just happened, and they were like, wow, we didn't even realize that was happening. They had to work on it. Now, again, problems are one of the reasons why churches sometimes don't grow. I know churches that, that uh, just the pastor is doing the leadership, and it can only grow to the, to, the, to the ability that the pastor has the ability to lead. And that's why most churches are running about the size we are, because they're run by a single pastor. As we get to look for a new pastor, Um, you know, your guys are gonna need to step up to grow back to where we were before COVID and that kind of thing. We have to have multiple kinds of leaders to make that happen. But even when we're not having problems, you gotta remember, every person who comes in, comes in with their own preconceptions, their own preferences, their own hangups, their own hurts, their own selfishness, their own sins. Just like every one of you who's here already brought those with you when you came. And even if they don't cause difficulties for the pastor, taking some of his time, they're likely to cause difficulty with some of you. Some of you are going to have some hang-ups, they're going to disagree with the hang-ups of new people. And we're going to have to work through that together. But just like the early church did, we worked through it together. And so they had to figure out how to fix it. So change causes problems, but problems require change. And that's what we're going to find out. And again, to the credit of the church, they didn't say to the Hellenistic leaders, they didn't say, what, you got problems with your widows? Well, that's your problem. You deal with it, okay? You go figure it out. Here, here's some money. We'll just give you some money to go figure it out and do that. They didn't say that. Here's what they did. They said, all right, we're going to work together on it. We're going we're to show that the church is the one place where we don't separate our cultures out completely. And they didn't create a separate system where they said, okay, this is for the Jewish widows, and this is for the Greek widows over here. They called the whole church together, and they had the whole church handle it. In fact, the apostles didn't figure it out all themselves. They said to the church, hey, all right, this is a problem, so I want you guys to pray about it and pick out seven people who can be in charge of this, and then we'll, we'll empower them to go handle it. But you guys do the picking. And, so they, and they chose very strategically. In fact, if you look at the names of the people that are there, every one of them had Greek names not Hebrew names. Every one of them were Hellenistic Jewish people, except for one. There was one that was a difference, okay? If you look back at the names there, it talks about, let's just look at those names again. Um, It says they were um, Philip, Stephen, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and it says he was a proselyte from Antioch. A proselyte was somebody who didn't come out of Judaism. They were somebody who was born Greek and had to wind up converting to Judaism and then eventually to Christianity. They did it by going through circumcision and baptism and the giving of alms, just like anybody else. But that's what it means by a proselyte. This guy didn't even grow up Jewish. He grew up Gentile, but they took him and helped put him in charge of the problem like they did with the other people that we've now come to know later as deacons. Now, it is possible that these seven were set apart just to take care of the Jewish, just to take care of the, the, the Greek widows. But the Bible doesn't seem to say it that way. It basically says, you choose these seven people, we're going to take them and put them in charge of the whole ministry. They took these seven people and they said, we don't want you just to take care of the Hellenistic widows, we're going to put you in charge of the whole problem there. Imagine this sort of situation. Imagine a church had um, a, a large percentage of um, first or first or 1.5 or second generation Hisp- uh, Hispanics there. It came from somewhere from, from Mexico or Central America or, or South America. And uh, some of the people in the church said, you know what, we're looking at our missions program, and our mission program is not focusing enough on, we'd like to see it focus more on Spanish speaking countries. You know, we sort of ignored that. We've got missionaries going all over the places, but they're not going into Spanish-speaking countries. And the church would to say, you know what? That's good. Let's pray about this. All right, you know what? You, let's get some Hispanic leaders. You guys just handle the, ministry, the missions program altogether. Do it like you want to do it. We're not asking you to do like we have the regular missions over here and the Spanish missions over here. We're asking you guys to handle every, every bit, all of it, 100%. Just take it over. We will work under you guys and do what you guys want to say, but you guys run the ministry. That, do you understand how amazing that is for the church? That's not typically what we do. Typically, we ask leaders to stay in their own lane. It's kind of, kind of typical with that. We worry about the, the, only the things that, that are of interest to us. But the church said, no, we're going to distribute the leadership around. It's not going to be like, um, like this is the youth ministry and everything else is not, can't touch anything else. Or like you're just doing missions and you can't talk about anything else other than that they distributed out the ministry across a lot of different people. Now, I'm not trying to push an agenda here, okay? I'm not trying to say that that's exactly the way to handle it every time, but it was the way for the early church to handle it around 40 AD. The point is they chose all Hellenistic leaders, they dealt with the problem and determined the right change to meet the problem, even if their solution was unusual or had never been done before. guys ever heard that that's the seven last words of the church we've never done it that way before okay the churches begin to die when they look at saying that we've never done it that way before and the corollary of that is and we're not going to start now all right so sometimes we have to change and do different things the way they did i think i mentioned this before for example like what time do we start worship today we started it well. Hopefully, you started worship this morning when you got up. But, but corporately, we started at ten thirty this morning. Do you realize when I was a kid that would have been that they would have just looked crazy to church? It started at ten thirty. Those, those of you that grew up my age that grew up, what time was the holy hour for church back in the day? Oh, you got different ones here. Okay, wow. Where I grew up, it was eleven o'clock. Every church was at eleven o'clock. In fact, you could you could count it. 9 45 was sunday school it ended at 10 45 between 10:45 and 11 the deacons went out and smoked back behind the church and then at 11 o'clock we started worship and we finished at noon that was the way it was do you know why we had worship at 11 o'clock does anybody know it goes back to the prairie days when people when we were mainly rural when evangelicals were mainly rural it was a time people could get up slop the chickens, and milk the hogs, and whatever else they had to do, okay, and feed the cows. I didn't grow up on a farm, so I don't know. But anyway, and get all their chores done, and get cleaned up, and get down the road to the church by 11 o'clock, by the time, to do their morning chores. And so that's why it became that way, and and so many churches still followed that for years and years and years after nobody had cows and chickens. Well, I know some of you might, but it is Fresno, but still. Um, Some of you might, but anyway... Again, you guys laugh at the silly ones. Okay, you got to quit that. All right. So, now let's get back to these guys that we that we eventually called deacons. Again, I say the Bible doesn't say deacons, but they did. They do. They do provide a good map for what we normally think is deacon work today. So, I don't want to spend a lot of time on their qualifications because we just don't have time for it today. But there are three qualifications that they want to mention here that I think are great qualifications for pastors, for elders, for deacons, for. For, any, for Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, everything, there were three qualifications. The first one was a horizontal qualification. It says they must have a good reputation. They had to be trustworthy with the money and the supplies. Because these guys weren't just waiting on tables. When we look at waiting on tables, what do you think of when we talk about waiting on tables? Okay? Talk about, like, being a server or a busboy or something like that. Okay? And sometimes, I know we've got some in here and I'm not trying to, but, but sometimes people look down on that. You know, like, oh, ah, you know, just, it. if you're if you are a server, anybody here ever been a server? Did anybody ever treat you like a servant when you were a server? Oh, all the time, okay? All the time. And so, and, and so we do kind of, but, and so there's, it's easy to read this and go like, oh, they were just waiting tables. They were just the grocery people, all right? The, the, the deacons were the first Uber Eats drivers, all right? That they just delivered groceries. But the word tables there, some people think that word tables actually means taking care of the money table, that they were actually the ones receiving the money to get the wit- to, to, to feed the widows. They were the ones responsible for getting the food, for making sure that it got handled out there. So they weren't just doing the delivery, they were administrating everything. They were taking care of all of it. So it wasn't a minor job here. It was a bigger deal. And so... Um, So they had to be trustworthy with the money and the supplies. They had to be people They say, we not only think you can handle it, we we think you will handle it with honesty, with integrity, with a good reputation. Then there were two vertical qualifications. The vertical qualifications was they had to be led by the Holy Spirit and they had to be wise. Okay, And you would think those things would go hand in hand, but not necessarily. There's some people out there that are wise, but hadn't, hadn't had a connection with the Holy Spirit that I could see, yeah, now again, I don't know for sure what their heart is, but, um, but again, we've got some politicians that are probably wise in how they're handling some of the things, but you know, I don't know if the Holy Spirit has anything to do with it. And I've also seen people that were strong in the Holy Spirit, but just weren't wise in administration. So these two, so these two vertical qualifications, they had to, be, had to be connected to the Holy Spirit, and they had to have God's wisdom in this. So that was really important, and we wanna keep that in mind when we choose a pastor when we choose deacons, when we choose board members, we want people who are good reputation. In fact, some of you that, that are in our small groups, this week you talked about the qualifications for leaders, all right, and so those go hand in hand with what's right here. We want to keep those in mind as we're looking at choosing a pastor, as we're looking at uh, building the rest of our of our teams here. So one other quick note um, here. Um, well, I already, already talked about that. I got ahead of myself. All right, so... Um, I want to give you an example of a church that I think did a good job of this, because I know you'll remember the examples more than you remember anything. Not far from here, in in the city of Madeira, is a church, and that church used to be known as Parkdale Baptist Church. And Parkdale Baptist Church, there's a picture of it right there. And Parkdale Baptist Church was a mainly white Anglo church, but its neighborhood began to get, began to become very Hispanic, very first generation Spanish, that everything they did was Spanish, and the leaders at Parkdale Baptist Church recognized the community was getting to be different for them, so they thought about starting a Spanish-speaking mission, that's sort of the common thing to do, and that's sort of, again, saying like, okay, we're running a church, but you guys are going to do the Spanish stuff, okay, and we'll do, we'll do the real church, you guys do the Spanish church, I mean, that's sort of how it feels sometimes, but they said, no, that's not what we're gonna do. We'll have, a Span- we'll have a Spanish language service because people need to hear the gospel in their language, but we're gonna run one church. And the older white people that were running the church said, you know what? We're gonna take one of these Hispanic leaders each under our wing. We're gonna train them how to do the stuff that we do. And they spent about five years training, teaching them how to do a budget, how to do all the government paperwork that has to be done how to administer an education plan, how to uh, organize a church and write bylaws and those kinds of things. And after about five years, one day the, white, the, the, the Anglo people all got together and said, you know what? You guys are now ready to run this church yourself. Here's the keys. Here's the deed. Some of us are gonna stay and just worship because this is our church. A few of us are gonna go out somewhere else where they're needed. But you guys now have this church It's yours. And you guys are the church that's going to meet the needs of this community. And they gave up their church and they gave up their control for something that was a change that needed to be made to reach their community. So now that church is, you can see it's Nueva Esperanza, New Hope. All right. And so is that what this, I hope I got the right sign. Is that what it says there? Okay, good. I can't read it from here. I was like, make sure I got the right church there. All right. Iglesia Bautista Nueva Esperanza. That they had new hope for this community because of what this church decided to do. Now, I'm hope, hopefully our church is not going to face that kind of change. But I want us to be the kind of church that's willing to make those kinds of changes if we need to. As our church begins to grow and get back to where, and grow not just in size and numbers. This isn't about filling up the auditorium that we want to because we want more people to hear about Jesus, but as we grow as believers, as we grow in our knowledge and our love and our service to to God, we want to be ready to make the changes that God wants us to make. We've been through a lot of changes, and some of you may feel like you're at the limit of the change you can handle. I can feel it. Some of you are probably going like, change. I just don't want any more change but there's going to be change ahead of us, and that's good news and bad news. It's bad news because it will be tough. Change is difficult, but it's good news because we are going to make the right changes that will help us to be the church that God has called us to be. And one of the changes we're going to make is we're starting next week, our pastor search team will meet. And I want to call our pastor search team members. i be coming up here on the stage with me for a moment, all right? So if you would, so guys, I I warned you about this, so come on up. We're gonna have a prayer time for these guys very, very quickly, not very quickly, but we're gonna do it right now. Now, there's a couple that aren't here, and if we can get to, there's a slide on there, I think, with a picture of the two that aren't here today, because I did this on short notice for them. All right, Twyla and Terry are not here today. Uh, Twyla, I think it's okay, she's going in for some minor surgery Tuesday and had to take a COVID test this morning and can't be around people. So her doctor thinks all of you are germy, and she can't be around you. Okay, but so she's having to be there today, and Terry and his wife are, are are actually visiting another church to support a friend who's preaching his first sermon today. So they want to be with that. So this, they're going there to be of support. But we've got Gary and Octavio, Debbie, Jackie, and Jeremy. These guys are be giving up probably, probably almost every week or every other week when we can, depends on how fast you guys work, for for two, three months or more, something like that, to do the heavy work to get a pastor, to get a candidate in here that you guys will be able to choose. Now, they've got a lot of things they're gonna have to do. They gotta spend a lot of time praying, and they're gonna need you praying for them. They've gotta have a lot of wisdom here. They've gotta be able to be connected to the Holy Spirit, because. Now, they're not choosing the pastor, but they're doing the hard work to do the vetting, to do the research, so that we know when we bring somebody to you, that most likely that will be the person that you guys are going to vote to call. Again, it's going to be your final decision. That's in our bylaws. So they're not choosing the pastor, they're choosing the candidates. They're doing the work so that you don't have to, and it's going to take some of their time. So what I'd have, like to have right now is just for us to be praying for them. And so, if you guys would join me in prayer now, I want to say, when we do a prayer from the pulpit like this, this is not a time for you to go into holy neutral. All right? I want you to be actively praying. God has big ears. He can hear all of us praying at the same time. If you need to mumble it out loud, that's fine. But if you pray silently, that's fine too. But I want to just lead us in a prayer for these guys right now. Heavenly Father, I am so, so very thankful and excited for these seven people who have given up this time to serve your church. And Father, we talk about how important the work of a pastor is. And these ladies and men have to do the work that's just as important right now. And Father, I pray several things for them. First, Father, I pray that you would speak to them very, very clearly over the next few months. Father, I pray that there might be an, a new level of of communication between your holy spirit and with them father as they look through resumes as they work on job descriptions as they <clears throat> as they just have to get the work done of of communicating to the church and to the, and to candidates and things father that you will give them your wisdom to know how to how to word things to know when to do things to know how to do things father and father i pray that their that their relationship with you might be as sweet as it's ever been in their life Father, I know there will be so many things that will want to attack them. The powers of evil will want to work against them in the choosing of this pastor. So, Father, I ask for your protection around them, Father. And I pray that this church body will be a protection around them, that this church body will, will, will protect them, will love them, will understand them, will trust them, Father, in everything that they do. Father, and then I just finally... Pray that they will be trustworthy, Father. I know that they are. We would not have chosen them if they weren't. But Father, I pray that you will that you will keep them from all temptation, Father. That you will keep them from the sins that so easily beset them. And Father, you will help them maintain a clear channel of communication between you and your Holy Spirit, Father. Protect them from the sins that want to that want to attack them, Father. Give them give them the wisdom of this world and knowing how to to uh, to handle communication and and how to budget things, and all the other things we have to do as we're, as we're getting ready to find the that you've that you've called, Father. And then I pray on top of all this that you will give them success. And Father, I pray that you'll give them success quickly. Father, you know I love this church. I'm not eager to leave them, but I am eager for them to move into your preferred future. And so, Father, I pray that you will make their journey short. And as hard as it might be, I pray it might be wondrous to them. Not just wonderful, Father, but wondrous. Just imbued in wonder all throughout all of it, Father, as they see your hand working, as they see your path set before them, Father. And then, Father, I pray for this congregation that they will, that they will trust. Father, we have asked these people, we've asked that you make them trustworthy, Father. Now help us to trust also as we go through this process. And, Father, we thank you in advance for the blessing you are going to give this church through a new pastor and the blessing you are going to give to that new pastor by calling him to this church. Thank you, Father, for these people and for the work they are doing. Bless them and restore to them the energy and the resources they need to get this job done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you so very much. Guys, for the first few meetings, we, we may sometimes have to meet every week for like an hour and a half or so. Hopefully it won't have to be that, but we want to continue to ask you to lift them up in, in prayer. And uh, we'll be giving you regular updates. I do want to let you know, though, church, I'll say this many times, one of the things of a pastor search team, too, is that we do sort of need to be secretive, not because got, we've got any special knowledge, but it's just it always works best for a church if it doesn't get out to a few people out there that, oh, they're looking at this person or that person, um, trust me, from years of experience, all right? So we're going to be secretive, not because we don't trust anybody, but just the history has shown us in other churches that's just the easiest way to get the process done quickly and, uh, and, and with less complications. But you will be informed of everything when you need to be informed of what we promise, all right? Well, let's get to the last point. I've gone a little bit over time here, but uh, the last point is we looked at change causes, uh, growth, uh, 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 growth causes problems. Change causes problems. Problems require change, but the right changes bring us back to growth. So Luke inserts one of his summary statements in verse 7. He says, going back to verse 7, he says, all right, The word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. All right, that's really important there. They reorganized in the way that was best to handle the administrative tasks so they could keep the gospel message flowing. And God responded by letting them grow even more. And it's really interesting to note that many priests became believers. Why would Luke say at this point, priests became believers? We have a theory. In the Jewish world, we mentioned the Jewish community did a better job of taking care of widows than people did in the greco roman world. And the people who usually wound up doing it? The priests. And as the priests looked at what they were doing and how they had empowered what people would consider just regular people to be involved in ministry, I think it spoke into the hearts of a lot of these priests. Now, these weren't the chief priests and the Sanhedrin guys that were persecuting. These were the rank and file priests who did the everyday work in the synagogues and at the temple. And it's, it is very possible that the fact of the church taking care of widows may have attracted those priests who would normally have had to do it. As they saw the church responding positively to a need, they were more willing to believe. And though we don't have time to address it today, this growth set up for new problems the church would have but we'll look at those at a later time now how many of you do, how many of you gar, are, are gardeners anybody have a gardener okay good I, I admire you guys I have definitely a brown thumb I I, I can kill a plant faster than anything um, but I did discover something I did, I did some research of this so you gardeners already know probably that a plant size an indoor plant what is the biggest limitation to its growth do I know the size of the pot, exactly. All right, in fact, all right, you should be impressed with this. Thank you, Google. All right, the Society for Experimental Biology. Doesn't that sound like a party right there? The Society for Experimental Biology found that doubling a plant's pot will make the pot grow, fit, uh, grow 40% larger. 40% larger. So there you go. There's a little bonsai plant right there, which I've never tried to grow because that would be really embarrassing to kill a bonsai uh, thing. But but anyway, here's what the principle of that is. You look at that. If you want to keep your plants small, keep them in a small pot. If you want them to grow, increase the pot size. If you want to keep your church small, don't add no leaders. Don't expand your organization. And there are churches out there that want to keep themselves small because People bring problems. We all bring our own messy selves. We're all broken people. If you're not a broken person, you don't belong here because you've, you've not sinned, you've not messed up. Oh, wait a second. The Bible tells us everybody has. So we're all broken people. And that's what we're here for. And everybody comes to that door is going to be a broken person bringing their own hang-ups and hurts. But if we want to be able to reach them, we want to have a place for them, we need to increase the size of our pot and so in the next couple of you know after we get the, the pastor search team going we'll be talking about new leadership areas that we need in our church some of the areas right now we need some more people for kidsville now that's 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 one of our to me that's one of our highest levels I mean, we're not trying to be a hierarchy here but that one's really important because we're dealing with our kids so so you got to be really qualified for that but we'll talk about that we're looking for more people to be involved in youth ministry in our worship team our av team our deacons, our greeters, and our executive board, just to name a few. And as we expand those and more people in leadership, we'll be able to increase our ministries, increase our footprint in the community, and we'll be able to do more for the ministries we're already doing. We we'll always need people to, to be involved at Rescue the Children. This, this evening, Michelle's gonna be teaching at, 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 at Rescue the Children. Michelle, I'm so looking forward to that. And we need more people, especially women, because it's Rescue the Children, it's women that we're dealing with. So women who would be willing to share with these women some scriptural truth out of their own lives that will be a part of that. So we've got our ministry at Paintbrush. I would love to see Paintbrush become a, 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 a site for us, okay? I'd love to have, a, um, uh, I'd love to have a, a, a volunteer associate pastor in charge of Paintbrush that every Sunday at 1030 goes over to paint. Now I don't even know if they'd let us yet, so I'm just talking dreams here, all right? I bet they would, but because they like Hunter. all right? Everybody likes Hunter. It's just disgusting that everybody likes Hunter. All right? The guy's like 14 years old, and I live in his shadow. It's like, oh man, but anyway, I do. It's just hear all this laughter. That's people that love you, Hunter. That really is, okay? All right, including Rachel. All right, so that's his wife if you're a guest, but All right. Um, but, um, but I'd love to see, like, couldn't you imagine? Could one of you guys be the kind of person that could go over every Sunday at, at 10.30 and watch, watch our online service with the people there and, uh, and then discuss with them, have their own little small group and talk with them and, and, and be their sort of associate pastor at Paintbrush? They would love that, I imagine. So I'm just saying, those are the kinds of ministries we could be doing as people begin to step up. So Rescue the Children at Paintbrush, at the Fresno Mission, uh, at Christ Helping Hands, and many other things we could be doing as our people begin to step up and we expand the team, God is calling some of you guys into some kind of leadership somewhere. Not just a menial task, but a task that God has designed you for, that God has brought you to this church to fulfill so that we can do a better job of letting the people out there know who Jesus is and helping all of us become better followers of Jesus. So what can you do about this? Here's what I wanna suggest for you today. First, be open to change. I know it's hard, all right? When this new pastor comes, it's gonna be a new guy you got to get know, you gotta make room for him somewhere in your connections, and some of you are gonna struggle with that, but be open to change. Be open to new people and new leaders. New leaders come, be open to them, all right? Make room in your hearts for them. So be open to new people and to new leaders. Be open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. And then, like these seven men that we now tend to call deacons, be servants. Be willing to use what God has given you to serve your church, to serve the Lord, and to serve the people out there who need to come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this little bit longer time. Father, thank you for the patience of the people. Thank you, Father, for the leaders that we do have, Father, for our deacons, our board members, for this pastor search team, for the worship team that's coming back up here right now, Father, using their gifts in a way that I could not. Father, thank you for those blessings you've given our church. And Father, help us all now to walk forth from this place with an attitude that says, Lord, whatever you call us to do, we will do because we trust in you. Father, Use our church. Bless us, help us to bless each other through our gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.